Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, at Big Meach 41, and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. All right, Bearcat fans. I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat coach. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard Eric Hicks, Tony Bobbitt, James White talk about this guy and the love they have for him. So it was only right that I got him on the podcast. He served as an assistant coach for the Bearcats from 2001 to 2005, the head coach from 2005 to 2006 with the Bearcats. But also we're going to find out about how accomplished he was as a basketball player as well, along with being a great coach. So I'd like to welcome in my guy. Andy Kennedy. What's up, AK? Hey, brother. I'm good, man. How are you? Doing well, man. Hey, congrats on the new job. Thanks, man. This is a this is a strange time for us all. Can you imagine taking over a new program under these circumstances? Uh, I should be writing a book for Crisis Management 101. It's been <laughs> it's been quite a it's been quite a first month to say the least. Yeah, no doubt about. It. So let's first let's talk about this. How does it feel to come back? to your alma mater and be the head coach? Like, how, how cool is that? Well, you know, I'm, it's almost surreal still at this phase because everything that you would typically go through, getting a job back uh, in your home away from home, Birmingham, Alabama has always been our home away from home, at your alma mater typically that comes with a lot of fanfare and a, and a mm-hmm. lot of reminiscing reconnecting to a, to a lot of people that you haven't seen for quite some time. But under these circumstances, none of that has transpired. So it's yeah. still somewhat surreal. The, the, the great thing for me, Meech, is the fact that when I left Ole Miss in, in March of 18, coaching my final game, my youngest daughter was a senior in high school. Caitlin, when we moved from Cincinnati to Oxford, she was entering the first grade. When our deal ended, she was graduating high school, never had to move her, which is an incredible blessing in the life Mm -hmm. of a coach. Uh, And so we didn't know really what was next, but we knew where we wanted to take that next step. So we moved back to Birmingham. So at least I don't have to move throughout this transition. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm very familiar with the city. I'm very familiar with UAB and, and super excited about the opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, talk to you, you mentioned this earlier, but talk to the recru- about the recruiting process right now and how strange it is, and maybe some things you're doing differently. Well, everything that you typically learn. I was a coach for 23 years, uh, 13 as a head coach, as you said in the intro. One is the interim guy at UC, and then 12 at Ole Miss. So, everything that you learn throughout your coaching career and how to to deal with taking over a new situation, you can do none of those things. Uh, I have I have none of my current players on campus. Uh, we are not able to have any human interaction with recruiting, with recruits. Everything is done over the phone, uh, Zoom, FaceTime, uh, 
all of the the different modems that we use, but the reality is uh, we're in a completely different time, and and that uh, that that crosses all lines, as I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, the things that you do are different. The things that our listeners yep. are doing are, are certainly different, and that and that is no uh, that is no different for me as a basketball coach taking over this situation. But you know, you do the best you can. You know, you you have to learn to 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 make the necessary adjustments. In the month that we've been here, we've uh, we've signed six players. Uh, you know, we've we've been able wow. to hire a staff. We've been able uh-huh. to do some things to try to move this program forward, so that when we do get back to some semblance of normalcy, hopefully sooner rather than later, we're ready to hit the ground running. And you said a key word, you said adjust. And I was listening to an interview the other night and they were talking to a guy about what's going on in the country. And he goes, you know what? The really good ones adjust. And I also think out of all this, some great will happen. Like you'll learn, especially as a coach, you'll learn some new things. You'll learn some new things from a communication level and and how to operate, how to recruit. Um, I think some great things will be born out of this. Well, I think I think you're right. You know, I, I remember after 9-11, Hugs and I were on a podcast with, with Frank Martin uh, just recently, and and we I brought up a story of, of he and I when I was working for Hugs. It may have been my first year. Actually, I think it was my first year um, And when 9-11 hit. And yep. we were actually uh, doing an in-home visit back in the day, and we were going our separate ways to reconvene the following day uh, on, on 9-11. And after that, you know, life never came back to normal. The normal of the day before became different after 9-11. And it mm-hmm. was strange initially, but, but you know, you all make adjustments, and it becomes the new normal. We're going to certainly have to do that as a country, as a world, after this pandemic, it won't be the same normal that we experienced before this. It'll be a new normal, but again, we'll make the necessary adjustments. And I'm like you; there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of positives uh, that come out of this once we can get through uh, this this initial uh, overwhelming uh, disaster that it has created. Yeah, and I'll tell you. That podcast you did with Jeff Goodman, with Goody and 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 Frank and Hugs was was <laughs> that was fantastic, man. That was that was really really good, man. Those those old stories really brought me brought me back, and I'm gonna bring yeah, up you something. could you could you could yeah exactly you could remember a lot of those things, you know. That, uh, the thing about Hugs and Frank and I, and we had a shared experience, and I, I was fortunate enough to have worked for Hugs for four years, learning to the right hand of one of the best that's ever done it in a, in a mm-hmm. great program at UC that you know a lot about, obviously. And, uh, yep. That's an experience of a lifetime. Yeah, no question. Now let's rewind a tape, and I want to talk about your journey, and I want to start with your basketball career first. Now you're originally from Louisville, Mississippi. Correct. Okay. Um, now let me. Do you, have you ever heard of Loosedale, Mississippi? Of course I have, yeah. My grandmother was born in Loosedale, Mississippi. How about that? I know, I know. She uh, she talked about. It. She died at 104 years old. Wow. And yeah, interesting. She lived a long life. And um, you know, you can imagine. I was in. I was in the head coach at Ole Miss for 12 years, so I I know every nook and cranny of that <laughs> state. Uh, and I'm I'm very familiar with Loosedale. A, a childhood friend of mine uh, was a preacher at the at the Baptist church there for a number of years. So okay. small world. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. So, um, you know, you played at uh, Louisville High School, correct? 
Correct. I started out there was there was the there was a private school and a public school in Winston County. Now Winston County is a pretty unique place. It's a uh, the town of Louisville is in Winston County. The town of Louisville had you know between eight and ten thousand people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I grew up at Winston Academy K through tenth grade. Um, that's where I went, and then I transferred over in my last two years. I went to Louisville High School. Now. Winston County uh, has produced some coaches in a little small town such as that. Van Chancellor, one of the greatest women's coaches of all time, is from mm-hmm. Winston County. Matthew Mitchell, the current women's UK? coach at the University of Kentucky, is from yep. Louisville, Mississippi. Mark Hutchbeth, who was a a football coach, now he's at Austin P. He was at, he had great success at Louisiana Lafayette. He's also from Louisville, Mississippi. So there's been a number of coaches that have come out of that little town. Man, so if you want to be a coach, just start in Louisville and you'll be. Well, I know this. I know that in, in just like in most small towns, especially in the South, you know, sports is is a, is a close second to religion. Uh, you know, so they, <laughs> they take it very seriously down there, and you, and you grow up playing every sport. That's what I did. Yeah. You know, when it was it was basketball season, you played basketball. You transition right into baseball, and in the spring, and then you know, football rolls around. That's what you do. So you you played a little bit of everything, but. I had hit a growth spurt uh, between ninth and 10th grade year, and I, and I really just fell in love with basketball. So I played every sport through my first uh, 10 through 10th grade. Then my junior and senior year, I really wanted to concentrate on basketball. I transferred over to Louisville High and, and, and really got serious about being a good player. And you ended up a Parade All-American in 1986, Mississippi Player of the Year. Um, you know, how heavily recruited were you? You ended up at North Carolina State to start. Yeah, you know, you got to remember, I'm dating myself a little bit, but this was pre, you know, a lot of national camps. It was pre the AAU circuit. Now, there was an AAU circuit, but it was more regionally done. There weren't the national, you know, Peach Jam, Las Vegas events such as where, you know, these these different teams from all parts of the country came and played. It was more of a regional thing. There was a that was back in the old five star days, and there was a thing called BC All Stars. Now BC All Stars was a southern version of five star. Five okay. star was typically a northeast thing. BC All Stars was was something that was done. We go to Milledgeville, Georgia, and all the college coaches come, and you basically play in this camp. There's three four hundred kids in it, and they have a top twenty All Star team, and of which I was a part of, and played good in that All Star game, and. So my recruitment went from the Mississippi State, the Ole Misses, the Southern Misses, the Auburns, the Alabamas of the world, the regional schools, to I started being recruited nationally. So after that event, uh, that's when North Carolina State, the late, great Jim Valvano recruited me. Larry Brown was at Kansas at mm, the time. Mm-hmm. He came into to Louisville, Mississippi to recruit me. George Raveling was at Iowa. Uh, they had recruited me. So I, I got recruited uh, nationally. I had a number of different people come into uh, my home there in Louisville and make their pitch. I took some visits and decided that I wanted to go where I felt basketball was king. And at that time, that was certainly Tobacco Road and the ACC. Yeah. And uh, plan for Jim Valvano. Um, obviously, you said the late great. Uh, so much history with him, the Jimmy V Foundation. Uh, yep. What was that like? I know you ended up transferring out, but what was that like? Well, that was probably, uh, I shouldn't say probably, that was my fault, not his. I mean, I was, a, uh, and trust me, it's, it's come back in spades because now uh, I coach a lot of kids that think they have all the answers, and I was one of those guys. 
So I, I, I go, I go to the, it's come back on me a hundredfold. I promise you. Uh, uh-huh. I, I go to the NC State. Uh, Vinny Del Negro, you know, great oh, NBA man. player, coached the yep. league. He was on the team. Charles Shackelford. We had a good team. We won the ACC tournament mm-hmm. in '86, uh, '87. Beat Carolina in the finals. Go to the NCAA tournament and uh, had an experience there playing in the Carrier Dome. Uh, I, it, it was terrific. You know, NC State had won the national title in 1983 mm-hmm. when, you know, Wittenberg misses the shot. Lorenzo Charles catches it, dunks it. They beat Five Slamma Jamma in an improbable upset. Yep. Coach Valvano was really a pioneer. I tell every coach now that is making a good living doing this that, that he was the first guy. He was so far ahead of his time. He was the first guy that really was more than just a basketball coach. He was also the athletic director. And he was really monetizing a lot of off-court stuff for the first time uh, when he was at NC State. He was a real pioneer as it related to going and having speaking engagements and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, putting his name and likeness on merchandise. He was really a forward thinker as it relates to that. Great experience for me. Didn't play as much as I thought that I should, of course. That's mm-hmm. every kid, right? Uh, yep. so, so I ended up transferring and playing for another legend, the late, great Gene Bartow uh, yep. here at UAB. Man, you played for two legends. Um, and you leave out of uh, UAB is the, at that time. I don't know if this still stands. I'm interested to hear. You were the second all-time leading scorer when you left. Is that yeah, still, still stands? It still stands. Uh, Steve wow. Mitchell was the all-time leading scorer. Uh, I scored 17-87 in three seasons because, you know, I had to sit out the year. I played the year at NC State. Uh, so I played three seasons here and had a, a good run. Gene Barto, Jim Valvano, uh, Bob Huggins, three guys that are all Hall of Fame in their, in, in their accolades, and three guys that did it completely different, polar opposites as it relates to their personality and the way they approach things both on and off the court. But I had a, I had a firsthand experience to, to, to play for and to work for three real legends in the game. No question. Now, are there any um, Andy Kennedy hoops mixtapes on YouTube? I got to find. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, it's funny. Me coming back here, they pulled out some old footage, and and uh, you know, I had the, the old spiked hair, and you know, I, 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 you know, I was I was really the first of. I, we we all watched the Last Dance, you know, the the first two oh, episodes on, on Sunday night, and you know, I grew up in the era of the short shorts. And then Jordan, when he started wearing, you know, the longer shorts, the baggy stuff, when that era came in, you could tell by his suit game during the last dance, that was bag- that was when the baggy was in. And yep. so he was the first – my junior, senior year was the first time that we had shorts that would come down even close to your knees. So mm. I, I ushered that in. So they're showing, they've been showing a lot of footage of, of back when I played, and uh, it's quite something. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Now, you had a uh, short professional career, um, but like, you know, many athletes, knee problems catch up to you, and it caught up to you with your uh, professional career, right? Yeah, you know what's crazy, Meech? I, I, I'd never really been hurt before, so I play a year at NC State. I transfer, and the summer prior to me being eligible to play at UAB, I tore my uh, left ACL mm-hmm. in, a, in an old summer league, back when summer league was a thing. And I know mm-hmm. they had a great one in Cincinnati back in the day. There was a really good one here in Birmingham where the who's who, the Charles Barkley's, the Enos Watley's, uh, Chris Morris, uh, Jim Farmer. There were just a number of NBA guys from all of the surrounding schools. We, we would have a very competitive summer league here. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in that and, and had a breakaway steal. Nobody's running back and transitioned in the summer league anyway. So I was literally uncontested, jumped up, dunked the ball, landed, had a little pivot shift. Something happened. I, I, I was in excruciating pain, thought, well, I just twisted my knee. I go in the next day and have an MRI on my ACL is torn. So I, prior to, to me even playing uh, for UAB, I had to play with a torn ACL. <laughs> so we had it repaired. I came back and played. And then it just from there, I had a number of different situations. I've ended up having six knee operations, but I tore my right ACL, which ended me as I was playing in Puerto Rico in the famed Puerto Rican Superior League, the summer league that they have over there, which, uh-huh. is, a, which is another experience. And, and that ended my career as a professional. Now, at that point, did you know that you wanted to get into coaching? I didn't, man. I didn't even really plan on ever being a coach. That wasn't something that I said, that's just what I want to do when I'm done playing. It, my, my career ended so abruptly. Literally, I tear my right ACL. I'm in Puerto Rico in the summer. I come back, and I don't I don't have a job. I don't know what to do. I know that I'm not – now I've lost a step that I could not afford to lose. So, professionally, it, it wasn't in the cards for me anymore as a player. So, I didn't know anything but basketball. So, I come back to, to my alma mater. Uh, I come back to Birmingham at home here in the off season. So, I move, come back. Coach Bartow was still coaching at the time, and – I'm like, man, I'm, I, I need to get into coaching. Can you help me? And he was pretty resistant as it related to that. He was trying to pursue, trying to persuade me to, to pursue another avenue. And mm-hmm. then ultimately my persistence and, and stubbornness outweighed his, and he helped make a call for me. I go to South Alabama. Mm-hmm. It was a rival of ours, and uh, that was when the old restricted earnings coaching, that was the entry-level position. So basically you were the operations director and an mm-hmm. on-floor coach. You couldn't off-campus recruit. NCA tabled it uh, restricted earnings, so I entered my coaching foray at South Alabama for sixteen thousand dollars a year. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Times are, <laughs> yeah. Times are different now. Times are changed. That was the entry level back in those days, though. Wow. This was mid nineties. Uh huh. And so you go from there. Uh, Bardo takes you. You go to UAB, nineteen ninety five to two thousand one. Yeah, you know what? I was at South Alabama, and then Coach Bartow retired as the coach. He maintained his athletic director position. Mm-hmm. He named his son Murray as the yep. second coach in the history of the program. I came back and worked for Murray for five years prior to Hucks uh, hiring me at, at Cincinnati, where I was, as you said, I, I, I went up there for my first season was 0-1-0-2, the great Steve Logan uh, the team that was not preseason ranked in the top 20. We lost our opener at Oak State. We then won 20 in a row to climb as high as fourth in the country. Ended up winning 31 games. We're number one uh, seed in the NCAA tournament, I think, for the first time in UC's history. Man, you remember all that. But I, I want to see if you remember this. So when you were an assistant at UAB, I was actually playing for the Bearcats, and we always played UAB. That's right, and- Old Conference USA, great Midwest days. That's right. And there was one game in particular. I want to see if you remember this. We played UAB. We played you guys at UAB, and it was the night Reuben Patterson's mother had passed away. I remember. And I mean that. And I just, I just interviewed uh, Reuben, and we talked about that performance. Man, that was, that was something else. He was my roommate at the time wow. on the road, wow. so I was wow. there when that all happened. And I remember. After that game was over, we were going to the shake hand lines. I'm actually right behind Ruben, and you stopped him and you talked to him for wow. a little bit. Well, wow. yeah, I re- I remember you. I remember that. I didn't know if you knew him or what, but you talked to him for a little bit. No, just respect. I didn't know him. You know, I remember us getting the news 
uh, Hugs and I, ironically enough, were talking about this privately a few weeks back. And mm-hmm. and I, I remember us getting the news that Ruben's mother had passed, and we didn't know if he was going to play or not. You know, there was mm-hmm. the, you know going into it. This was pre Twitter and, and all of the social media that's out there now. We didn't know was he gonna was he gonna play? Was he not gonna play? Was he even gonna be in the arena? We didn't know. Uh, it was my scout. So you go out before the game, you see Ruben out there in a lather getting getting ready to go, and you're thinking, okay, he's gonna play. And you don't know if it's going to be inspirational or is it something that's just going to weigh on him so much that he's just not in it. So you never really know as a competitor how he's going to react to those things. Mm-hmm. And, boy, what a show that he put on. It may have been you – know, you you would be better than I to say this, but, but it was arguably the best performance of his collegiate career, correct? No question. No yeah. question. No question about that. Um, now, now, how did the whole Cincinnati thing happen? How did you and Hugs connect and you get to the Bearcats? Well, this is crazy, man. I knew Hugs like, you know, a hundred different people knew Hugs, you know, just being around and, and, and waiting. Now, you know, obviously you see back in those days recruiting a lot of junior college players. We had, mm-hmm. this was when junior college basketball was real. Obviously, Ruben was a junior college player. Nick Van Exel was a junior college player. Uh, Arthur Long was a junior college. I mean, there was a lot of great JUCO players that came through that program. And, and when I was at UAB as an assistant, uh, we were recruiting JUCOs as well. So we would cross paths at different JUCO gyms and have an opportunity to interact. And, you know, we, we kind of we had some uh, mutual friends. Well, the, the, the summer that I got hired, the model, the recruiting model in July has changed a lot over the times. But back in those days, I believe it was you could recruit for 10 days. You then were off for seven days back on your campus, and then you finished the month with another 10-day recruiting period, something like mm-hmm. that. Well, mm-hmm. the first 10 days, I went out as UAB. Then we're off for seven days, and like everybody, UAB was running a camp. So I was actually in Bartow Arena running a camp for kids and then about to go out again the next 10 days for UAB. Hugs called me. Uh, he, had, he had taken a shot at three or four other assistants. Something had happened where, you know, a couple guys did couldn't take it, wouldn't take it, whatever. And so he calls and offers me the job literally two days before I'm supposed to go back out as 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 a UAB assistant to finish the July recruiting period. I accept the job. He tells me to fly here. I fly to Las Vegas. He shows up because he started somewhere else. He he shows up two three days later. It's the first time we had we had met, and uh, and I'm working for Bob Huggins. That's crazy. I'm, I'm gonna tell you what's crazier, uh, and this is a true story. I I in my office in the shoe. This again. This is this is in 2001. So we had the old the old office phone. So when your phone rang, it would say like phone call for Alex Mitchell. You know, it would just kind of have your name on the mm-hmm. little on the little monitor. Well, a guy named Tom Abetamarco, who's a legend in the game. Tom Abetamarco actually signed me at North Carolina State. He was mm-hmm. the recruitingest recruiter in the business in the 80s. <laughs> well, they called him the Alphabet Man. So, so Coach Huggins was offered Tom Abetamarco the job, and evidently it had gotten so serious and so deep in the system that when my phone rang, my entire first year at UC, it would say phone call for Tom Abetamarco. <laughs> and I never – and so he had taken the job, and then something happened. He was going through a divorce, I believe, at the time, and some child custody issues. He was in California, so uh-huh. he ended up backing out of the deal. But it was obviously far enough along the system where UC had put it in their phone system. So I never had that taken off because it was motivation to me uh, each and every day when my phone would ring to show that how fortunate I was to, to be in that position. Oh, man, that's good stuff. 
Does Hug, you, you told, of course, Hug. Yeah, that, right? of course, of course. I've told Tom that too. Now you got to understand, uh, Coach Marco and I are still speak to this day. He just got hired by Coach Patino at Iona. I mean, this guy's okay. probably been at about twenty something different jobs. He is a he. You're talking about a a, a book in the making. Tom Marco has seen and done it all. And again, he signed me at NC State. And, he had the job uh, that, that he couldn't take, which allowed me to get with Hugs, and the rest is history. Yeah, it worked out well. So yeah. let, let's talk about that first season. Um, now, now, how different was it going from UAB now to Cincinnati, Coach Huggins, like totally different dynamic? How was that adjusting to that? Yeah, it was it was crazy. Uh, you know the way in which Hugs was doing things. He was so he was bigger than life at the time at, at UC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I went from a program that was a good program at UAB, a story program, but certainly nothing to the level at Cincinnati. I I remember you know moving my family. My children were tiny at the time, and moving my family to Cincinnati. We were there for five years. Lived in Loveland, close to where Hugs lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and had a great experience, man. Uh, we we still reflect fondly on our time there. I remember the passion of the Bearcat faithful. I remember again back in the day, and this is pre you know everything being able to to pull up every game on your phone. If we ever get back to that to that to that time, uh, I remember coming out in the shoe, and it's at thirteen one seventy six. And that's if right. We're playing, if we're playing on a Tuesday night and. You know, there's 12,400 there, and there's, you know, 700 empty seats. Hugs would be pissed off because the mm-hmm. expectation was, hey, man, this was Cincinnati's team, and, and they supported us as such. No question, man. And and there was there were just so many. One thing about Hugs is it was almost like the teams had characters. Like, oh, yeah, it, yeah. Well, You know, it was just like, like WWE, there were characters. But that's kind of what made Hugs. I used to love how he would take – certain guys that, you know, other schools maybe didn't want for whatever reason, and he would turn them into not only a great basketball player but great men. And you were there for a lot of these guys. And one guy I want to talk about specifically was a guy that I played with, and he finished with you guys. Um, And he came into the University of Cincinnati as just this short, fat kid. And I remember the first open gym that he came into um, when I was there, and I'm like, there is no way this dude can play at Cincinnati. I mean, you've got, you know, the the Van Axels, the A.D. Jacksons, the Terrace Gibsons of the past. This dude is nowhere near that. Boy, was I wrong. Steve Logan, I, I, I can't explain to people Steve Logan. Can you get your arms around this and explain to people Steve Logan? Well, I'll say this. Uh, and not getting caught up in the moment, but he was the best player I've ever been around. Mm. I I come in there against Logan was going into his senior year, and you talking about a headstrong, uh, cocky dude. Now he's looking <laughs> at me like, who is this dude, man? I, I mean, I don't even think I, he would speak to, I don't even think he would speak to me for about the first month. I mean, I had to earn his respect. He would come in there, man. This dude was just so focused, so edgy. He was really the perfect Hugs player. Yeah, because he and Hugs would go back and forth, back and forth. And and Logan was the perfect player for that team. I, I said it a minute ago, that team was not ranked in the sweets in the top twenty. Coming off a sweet sixteen performance, Kenny Satterfield played well. There was some upsets, you know, before them and they end up making the sweet sixteen. Sat goes pro. We come in not preseason ranked in the top twenty. First game 
uh, at, at, at Oklahoma State, we get beat, but Logan goes for about 35. Uh, about four guys get kicked off the team. I think we left two or three of them in Stillwater. I mean, a typical UC road trip. <laughs> and, and, and we get back, we got like four bodies to show up to practice. The next day, we don't even have a team, and we have to rebuild our group, and we go on to win, you know, 20 in a row and, uh, and climb as high as fourth in the country. That team only lost four games. It lost at Oklahoma State. It lost at Louisville. It lost at Marquette. That's the Dwayne Wade Marquette. And then mm-hmm. we lost in the 8-1 game to UCLA in double overtime in Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh, uh, and that was the UCLA team. Steve Lavin was the coach. It was preseason ranked number one in the country. Uh, And they kind of underachieved all year, so they were in the 8-9 game, and I think they beat us 104-101 or 105-101, something crazy. But Mm -hmm. Steve Logan was the guy that ends up being second to, to, to Jay Williams for Wooden Player of the Year. He was he just had an incredible drive, an incredible toughness, and ability to carve just enough space because he certainly wasn't going to play over the top of you, and he wasn't fast enough to go by you. He he was just so savvy and so strong, and and so efficient with with the ball that mm-hmm. that he was the best player that I have ever been around. And I've and I've had guys that you know SEC players of the year, first round picks, and Steve Logan that year. Uh, put on an incredible performance. You would appreciate this, Meach. He'd come up to me and, and you know hugs it back in the day. I still think he does it modified somewhat, but he was he was world famous for practicing for three hours. We were going to practice for three hours every day, oh, yeah. no matter what it was. Three, three and, to six. Yeah, yep. that's what you're going to do. And and so we're we're doing four on four plus one, which which is a defensive drill in which the defense is outnumbered. Offensively, you've got five guys. You know the drill well, and and Hugs, you had to get two stops in a row. You couldn't get out. Well, if Logan's on offense, he might score 30, 40, 50 points <laughs> in that six- or seven-minute deal and just yep. yell at Hugs if he ever stopped the drill because he, he, he wanted to, to get his buckets. He'd come up to me and say, hey, AK, I got 87 today. He'd be keeping up with how many points he scored throughout the course of that practice in any environment, you know, whatever it was. If that ball mm-hmm. went in the basket, he's, he's, uh, he's making sure you knew about it. Man, you summed him up, man. He was he was special. He was definitely special. And, and speaking of special, someone that I interviewed um, earlier in the podcast, probably the most unique personality to ever come through the University of Cincinnati, and that's Tony Bobbitt. Um, God, what an interesting, just just crazy story. And I'm actually I'm getting ready to do part two uh, with him with the podcast. We still have a whole nother. Uh, thing to talk about but I mean the podcast um, AK went as you probably could imagine like I had a script and I just had to throw it out oh yeah straight yeah straight off straight off the rails (laughs) I mean okay so so from your perspective I mean give me some thoughts on on TV oh that was my man you know I I went out to Twin Falls Idaho College Mm -hmm. of Southern Idaho really one of the, the most storied junior college programs in all of America and that's where I found old Tony Bobbitt. You know, he's a ten- he's a Florida guy out in Twin Falls, Idaho. First time I laid eyes on him, I knew he had this incredible talent, this incredible energy. But as you said, some things have never changed. He was all over the place. To get him to go in a straight <laughs> line was easier said than done, man. But he had this infectious energy. I, I had another yeah. kid, uh, uh, Marshall Henderson, who helped oh, me yeah. win an SEC championship. 
Yep. Win 27 games back in 2013, and, and Marshall was similar to Tony. Tony similar to Marshall in that they were they were both incredible shot makers, but mm-hmm. also they had this infectious energy that you knew something wasn't quite connecting all the way. But <laughs> but but you were down for the ride, you know. I mean, yep. just, they they had such a good energy about them, man. Not a malicious bone in their body. Tony comes to to UC skinny, you know. He ain't really that interested defensively. Uh, Hugs is breaking him in half, man. I'm having to put him back together. Hugs is like, man, get this guy out of here. Tony's to the bus station two or three times. I'm getting him back, just kind of corralling <laughs> him. And I'll never forget, ironically enough, we were playing in the Meadowlands before before the Nets moved to Brooklyn. We were playing in the New Jersey Meadowlands in the Jim Valvano Classic. We were playing Oregon. Mm. Uh, national TV, Dick Vitale doing the game, Digger Feltz, um, and and Bob at, and Oregon, I believe at the time was like eighth in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tony Bobbitt goes off. I think he scored like twenty seven points in like twenty six yep. minutes for us to win it. And from that point on, Hugs was a little more patient with Tony Bobbitt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he ended up being incredible, though. He ended up he ended up his senior year. He was a I think he was sixth man of the year in the league. We won the tournament down at fifth third. He was MVP of the tournament. Uh, you know, we advanced in the NCAA tournament. He hit a shot late in the corner against East Tennessee State uh, mm-hmm. to advance past round one. So, Tony Bobbitt ended up being a very, very good player in his time there. Guy played in the NBA after that. It's ironic that he texted me congratulations a few weeks ago when, when I got this job. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that <clears throat> TB was special. And he talked about when I interviewed him, you know, the, all the times he wanted to quit. And you you talk to him and smooth things over. And it, and it's so amazing to me. And I didn't realize that, I mean, he was a sixth man for the Bearcats. Because yep. as you go back and you look at it, I mean, he's, he's looked upon by so many Bearcat fans as, you know, one of the high-level guys. But I'm like, that dude came off the bench. Yeah, yeah, he was he was instant offense off the bench. If you remember, Field Williams, Hunts, Hunts mm-hmm. uh, from from Houston, Texas. He was our starter, steady, never said a word, did his nope. job, and Hugs likes those guys. So yep. so he always brought Tony off the bench. Tony Tony ended up averaging fifteen, sixteen points per game. I think his senior year, and he did it probably twenty two, twenty three, twenty four minutes. You know, he he wasn't a heavy minute guy. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, TB's still angry that he came off the bench. I was going to let you know that. He, he let me know on that podcast. But uh, I, w- I really want to – and I know your, your time is very valuable. you got a lot, lot to do in recruiting and stuff. But I do want to quickly talk about that that season. And when I when I tweeted out and I was telling Bearcat fans that I was going to have you on the podcast, they really wanted to talk about that year that you took over uh, when Hugs got fired. And so sure. I want to I want to talk about some of those details now. When Hugs got fired, where were you, and how did you find out? I'm going to tell you this, and you're going you're going to think I'm lying, but but Frank Martin can can confirm it. Hugs is working. He's a counselor at the Michael Jordan Fantasy Camp. Mm-hmm. You remember? It's ironic. You know, we were just talking about Jordan and their them, them just debuting the Last Dance a few days back. Well, Michael Jordan had a fantasy camp where all these people would go and pay exorbitant amount of money uh, to be coached by uh, Bob Huggins and Jimmy Brown and whoever, whoever out in Las Vegas. So Huggins was a counselor out there. Uh, and it had been going back and forth with him and administration and 
you know, uneasy, contract wasn't extended. You know, we'd just come off. I think we'd gone like 25 and 8 the year before, so one we had a bad year. But mm-hmm. you, you knew a lot of stuff behind the scenes was brewing. Well, lo and behold, I'm in um, I'm in the offices at UC, in Frank's office, and do you remember Reeny, who was yeah. his Re- assistant? Yeah, Reeny. Reeny Haru. That's yeah. right. Uh, Reeny walks in with a fax. Now, you got to remember, this was back in the day where fax, remember the, the fax paper would come yeah. off and it would have that, <laughs> it would have the, it, it, like that wax paper and it would be in a roll, like a scroll. Yeah. So you had to undo the scroll <laughs> to read it. It was on this wax paper. That's how it was. So she hands me this fax and it was basically a fax. I was just in Las Vegas. It was basically a fax saying, hey, uh, we've come to the conclusion that you're no longer going to be our coach and you have till this time to resign and here's the number or we're going to fire you and here's the number. Real talk. That's what happened. Wow. So we, we, I called uh, Richard Katz, Hugs' mm-hmm. attorney at the time, and yep. got Hugs on the phone and, and said, hey, man, we got a problem. Um, <laughs> big you know, and we got a big problem. So he was actually coming back from Vegas, I think, that day and less than 48 hours later, uh, Bob Huggins is no longer the coach at UC. Uh, at the time, you remember we were on the quarter system, so this was this was maybe late August. We didn't start school till maybe late September. Remember how late school started in the mm-hmm. fall back at UC yep. at the time? Yep. Uh, Bob Gowen was the athletic director. We didn't know what was happening, who was coming, who was going. We did have five seniors returning, and you know they asked me if I wanted to be the interim coach. I, I, my first call was to Hudson and said, "Hey, man, what do you think?" And, he was like, well, you know, we do owe it to these players. He obviously was very upset about a lot of things, and justifiably so. Mm-hmm. His only thought was, hey, man, you know, we're responsible for bringing those guys in there. Uh, this is not their fault. You know, you and Frank need to shepherd them through this. Uh, but he said, I don't want to he, – he said, point blank, I don't want it to ruin your career. Do you think you can win? I was like, Coach, I got no idea. Uh, <laughs> but I'm like you, man. I, you know, we, we owe it to these guys. It was James White. Eric Hicks and Jihad Muhammad, Armin Kirkland, Chad Moore, Devin Downey was a freshman. We didn't have mm-hmm. many. I think we ended up with eight eight scholarship guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but five of those guys are seniors. And so I took on the challenge and uh, and tried to battle through it. How going into that, how nervous were you? Because uh, I mean, it, you it, know, it you, wasn't nerves though. It wasn't nerves. You know what it was? Because it was kind of surreal. It, it was almost like you were in shock a little bit about what happened. Mm-hmm. And and we were we were transi- transitioning into the Big East. You know, Hugs never got coaching the Big East. I know. And, and we were transitioning into it. I'll never forget. We go to Media Day, Madison Square Garden. Mike Trangisi's the commissioner, and the, they do a picture, and it's me, and I'm standing by Jim Calhoun. I'm standing by Jim Beheim, <laughs> Rick Pitino, John Bela. I mean, it's like a who's who of coaches. Jay Wright. And it's mm-hmm. almost like, who is this clown? It's like I, it's like I self-imposed myself in it through Photoshop. <laughs> right. Because uh, right. I'd never called a timeout at any level. I mean, I'd never been a junior high coach, and mm-hmm. now you know my first go round is uh, in the Big East, which at that time, at the end of the season, it was the first league that got eight bids in the NCAA tournament. It was the first league that ever got two number one seeds. Uh, UConn and, and Villanova were both number ones. It was a pretty good league. <laughs> no, no, no question. Now, now, what's your so what's your approach when taking over a team like this? You know, you've got your style and Huggins' style. Um, I don't know how different they are at the time, but how do you approach that? 
Well, I've always believed this, and, I, and I'm going to do it next year uh, with my UAB team. I, I think good coaches, you know, obviously you recruit to a philosophy, but we were what we were at that point. It was all about all hands on deck, and let's figure out the best way to put these kids in a position to be successful. So you make adjustments based on your personnel, and that's exactly what we did. You know, Hugstock playing a zone was, was a sin, and, and I zoned a lot with that team because we were so small. I ended up starting – Devin Dowdy, who was 5'10 on a good day, true freshman. Jihad Muhammad, you know, 5'11, and and that's even with the dreads. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He wasn't a very (laughs) tall guy. Chad Moore at about 6'2. We had Eric Hicks at 6'5, incredible length and strength, but only about 6'5, 6'6. And we had a kid named Cedric McGowan at about 6'5, 6'6. And James White. That was our team. Mm -hmm. So we were incredibly small up front. So we zoned more, we did more zone pressing, we tried to be disruptive defensively, and then we tried to play really fast. You know, Hugs was a little bit more controlling, mover, blocker, whatever it may be. When you had an inside guy with Fortson, everything went through Fortson, and with Logan, everything went through low. Uh, so we tried to play as fast as we could so that our, our speed in the open floor was advantageous, and then, you know, we just tried to muck it up defensively, which are things that, again, Hugs never did just based on, you know, his approach to things, but more importantly, based on the personnel that he had. Yeah. Now, and, and during that season, I mean, you start off the season, I believe the first regular season game was that overtime win versus Murray State. Ironically, <laughs> how uh, Nick Cronin right? coach, that is yeah. crazy. And I always that, forget that, that, that. Let me tell you how far back, not to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. I, I got a little Tony Bobby in me as well. Uh, <laughs> hey, think about this. Think about this. Uh-huh. When I get UC, the job that we just talked about, the time about Marco had that I ended up getting, you know, mm-hmm. that was that was the position open when Mick left to go to Louisville. So Mick leaves Cincinnati to go to Louisville, mm-hmm. and I I get the spot that Mick left. My first game as a Cincinnati coach is against Mick at Murray State. Then That's after wild. my time here, I go to Ole Miss and Mick goes to Cincinnati. So I mean, it's got it's kind of like the seven layers of Kevin Bacon. I mean, everything kind of comes full circle with me and Mick. Yeah, that's that's wild. But, you know, and I'm sure you learned a tremendous amount that year, being your first year. Um, you guys had a 10-game winning streak at one point, and then you had a rough patch with – but you played, you know, good teams, a three-game losing streak, UConn, Syracuse, Xavier. Um, yeah, Xavier, I, beat us in, Xavier beat us in overtime, I think, by two. I think that's right. That was a, that was a wild game. Yeah. I remember that. I think – didn't yeah. Jihad, like, hit a shot? Hit it, yeah, Jihad hit a three to send it to overtime, and yep, and then uh, and then Devin Downey had a shot that I would take any any time, any day to win the game, and 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 wasn't able to knock it down. Let, let me let me tell you this real quick. We started off three and zero. People don't remember this. I don't want to. I don't want to bring up a bad memory, but our staff. I, I didn't hire anybody. They didn't. You know, they didn't say, "Hey, you could go out and hire an assistant." So I'm an assistant. I move up. So it was me, Frank Martin. Keith mm-hmm. Legree and Andy Ashley. Now Andy yeah. was our operations guy, uh, but we could move him on the floor. He maintained his operation status, and then you know uh, after game three, uh, we had a coaching change. Keith Re- Keith Legree got dismissed, and if you remember, I was able to bring in Corey Blunt. Now Corey had yeah. just finished his NBA career. Corey had not completed his undergraduate degree. 
So I, I was able to, to to convince Bob Gowen to hire him as an interim assistant coach because one of the prerequisites is if you're going to be an assistant, you have to have your college degree. Well, Corey was, hadn't finished his college degree because the, mm-hmm. he had left to, to be a professional player and a good one for over a decade. So mm-hmm. Corey came in as my interim assistant coach and helped us through the season. That's a pretty damn good uh, interim assistant coach. So how about so, so how about this? So we start off three and zero. We then John Calipari and the Memphis Tigers come to town and they beat us. So now we're three and one. Then Brian Gregory and the Dayton Flyers come to town and they beat us. So we're three and two. It's the first time in the history of Shoemaker Center that they had lost back to back non league games. That, mm. That's 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 a record that I hold not so proudly. So now <laughs> so so now we're so now we're three and two. We got to go to Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt had a 28-game home winning streak. It's amazing I can remember this. I know, but you can fact check me. They had a 28-game home winning streak versus non-SEC opponents. So we go, and it's a story in and of itself. We had to. We were supposed to fly to Nashville. Snowstorm ended up busing. What would typically take four and a half hours took 11. We we get to the Nashville. Devin Downey goes for 28, and we snap that that 28-game winning streak to uh, Vandy's. So after losing two straight home games, we go on the road, we beat Vandy, and that was the start of winning 10 in a row and going all the way to, to being nationally ranked prior to getting beat uh, at UConn on Big Monday uh, mm-hmm. by Jim Calhoun. That was a team that went to the Final Four led by Rudy Gay, and that was the game in which Armin Kirkland tore his ACL. Got hurt. At yep. the time, we were 13-2, and 25th in the country, and won 10 straight. Uh, Armin playing the best basketball of his life, tears his ACL. We're down to seven scholarship players. I come back on Tuesday, uh, go to Mark D'Antonio, who was our football coach at the time, and say, Coach, do you have anybody on your team that's played basketball? He turns me on to uh, a young man named Connor Barwin, <laughs> who's coming up. <laughs> Connor Barwin has is, is, is just finished his freshman campaign as a 6'4", 220-pound tight end. People forget he started <laughs> on offense. He comes out, I meet him on Tuesday. He practices with our team on Wednesday. I play him 18 minutes on Saturday against Syracuse. True story. That is great. That no, that's good <laughs> stuff right there. That was so crazy when Connor came out because he does not look like a basketball player. At yeah, he all. played in high school. I mean, the poor kid just finished college football. He was a true freshman. Yeah. Not, that and, was... and not only not only does he practice with the team, uh, I play him 18 minutes on Saturday against Syracuse. That's crazy. But you know, <laughs> I, I, I think. The the one game that really – well, there's two things to this game. Um, the senior night game versus West Virginia. And I want to say two things about that game. Uh, one, I have – to this day, I have still not heard the arena that loud. When Eric Hicks came out on senior night and he went over to talk to Hugs, and Hugs was you know way off in the corner – and yeah. he walked over to, to talk to him. Man, that place erupted. And that moment, I, I think, is still one of the top three moments that has nothing to do with on-court experience. That's one of the top three moments ever. And so how did that all happen with Hugs actually being there? How 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 ironic. I mean, everything kind of coming full circle. We're playing West Virginia uh, Hugs is alma mater, where he's now the head coach. It was kind of crazy. We, it was senior night. Uh, again, we had James White, uh, Armin Kirkland, Eric Hicks, Jihad Muhammad, and Chad Moore. And you know they had all signed to come to play at UC for Bob Huggins, not for me. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and I had recruited the majority of them. But here we are on senior night. I'm at half court. Hugs, it's the first time he'd been back in the shoe. He did it to come back for those seniors. They had asked him to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we, you know, we kind of kept it under the cloak of darkness because, again, it was not the politically correct thing to do. Right. Uh, <clears throat> we didn't care about that, but we did not want to make it a big deal. Hugs was like, don't make it a big deal. I'm going to be at the game. I'm like, well, damn, Hugs, when you walk out there, it's going to be a big deal. And he actually <laughs> and he actually was sitting on the front row, you know, down in front of the West Virginia bench. So the kids would come out and do their typical senior stuff with me, and then they went right to, to Hugs, every one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was a big deal. We ended up winning the game. They were really good. Uh, it was the Pitsnoggle, Gansey, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Sweet 16, West Virginia team. Uh, we win the game in kind of a crazy fashion, sellout crowd, and, you know, hugs being there. Uh, if you remember at the end, they'd given me the microphone. It was kind of surreal. They gave me the mic, and then, you know, I'm addressing the fans and thanking them because it had come full circle. If you remember, you know, initially uh, we're playing in front of five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people, and then at the end it was back to typical UC sellouts, mm-hmm. and the people really embraced that team. They embraced me. Uh, it was really a special year, and for it to culminate there against West Virginia with Hugs there uh, on a big win against the nationally ranked team on senior night was was about as fitting an end as I think that season could have had. Yeah, no question. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, people wore the higher Andy Kennedy T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. You remember still, those? I've still got a couple of them. <laughs> those are all over the place. That's <laughs> crazy, man. I know. Now, you go from that game, huge win, and, you know, you need to win that Syracuse game to make yeah. it to the NCAA tournament. How how crazy. And, and Eric talked a little bit about that game on the on the podcast, and he was he was still upset about uh, McNamara splitting that. Yeah, and, and, and hitting double. that. Ugh. Now, right. here's, what, here's what's crazy. You know, Joe Lenardi, this was back when bracketology was just becoming a thing. And Joe Lenardi had us, like, as an eight seed. I'd still talk to Joe. You know, I was doing the TV thing for a couple of years, so I'd talk to him a lot on telecast and, and, and we would laugh about, uh, you know, the biggest miss of his bracketology career was that UC team because it was the, the formulas were still so new that not everybody really understood everything that went into them. Well, mm-hmm. Joe had us seated as an eight seed on Selection Sunday, and we didn't make the tournament. And, at, and I remember us sitting in the locker room expecting, you know, we're going to be in there. Lenardi's got us as an eight. Where are we going? Uh, you know, you guys have achieved your goal. When we beat West Virginia, we thought that was the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lo and behold, we got left out because they basically said, and, I, and I'm not sure I disagree with it. It was painful at the time, but obviously we were a different team with our mean than without him. With our mean, we were right. 13 and two. Without our mean, we were what six and eight or something. So uh, as a result, they they were like, hey, you're a different team, so you're not the team that deserves to be in the NCAA tournament. So they didn't let us get in, but. Prior to that, we go to Madison Square Garden and we're playing in the 8-9 game against Syracuse, who we had split with. They'd beat us at our place. We'd beat them in the Carrier Dome. And we're up by one or two or whatever it was in the waning seconds. And McNamara splits that double team and hits that one-foot runner, really to start one of the greatest four days in the history of that tournament because, you know, he went on this incredible tear, leading him all the way to the to the tournament championship. Yeah, he did, man. And that, and that started that... and that started right there against uh, – Against me and the old Cincinnati Bearcats. Oh man, they still show that old classic sometimes. I, I watch it. I look a lot younger. And, I, <laughs> and I, I, I hate seeing that. That was that was definitely a tough loss. But even even tougher than that was the 
the bizarre ending to the season. And I and I don't know how much you want to you know talk about this, but um, the NIT game versus South yeah. Carolina and the things leading up to that. Now I think you guys beat Charlotte, Minnesota, correct, and, then and now you we're played. playing South Carolina, right? And and the winner of that game goes to New York City. And I've never told the story before. I don't think most definitely in a public forum, but uh, I, I am our season ends. It is already Mike Thomas is now the athletic director. Mm-hmm. It has already been decided between he and I that hey man, I, I'm I, I can't be the head coach here. Uh, it's not even a position that I necessarily want because they just fired my my mentor and my best friend. I don't necessarily have a lot of trust in that in that in that big <laughs> office on the hill. Let's just manage this as best we can. At the end of which, you do what you've got to do for the best of the program, and and hopefully, you know, my my thirty game interview here on a national stage will put me in a position to get a job. Now, I didn't know that one way or the other. Well, lo and behold, the season ends. Uh, mixed playing in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, Mike Thomas has obviously not had an opportunity to speak to Mick because his team's still playing. So initially, Ole Miss had reached out, and he wouldn't let give me permission to speak to him because we were still playing, and, and I understood it. It was a little difficult. Anyway, as, as the season progressed, Murray State gets eliminated. We're still winning because we won a couple games, like you said, in the NIT. Finally, he said, okay, <clears throat> I understand. You've got opportunities out there. He gives me permission to to speak to Ole Miss. Ole Miss flies into town the day of the South Carolina game. We meet downtown in the Omni Hotel. I I I, I am meeting with them in the morning. I am then driving back to campus. We're going through shoot around that afternoon, and we're playing South Carolina that night. Winner goes to Madison Square Garden. Loser goes home. Mm-hmm. I get in my car, <clears throat> drive out of the parking deck from meeting with the Ole Miss people. This was the old Motorola flip phone days. I turned my phone on as I get out of that parking garage. Obviously, you can't get a signal there, and my mm-hmm. phone is just blowing up, pinging, pinging, pinging with voicemails and text. And hey, you need to come see the compliant. You need to come to my office immediately. Uh, you know, we've got a situation. So I get to the compliance office and I, I walk in, and there's a room full of people, and I almost feel like, oh man, what is going on here? And they told me that James White and Jihad Muhammad are going to be ruled academically ineligible uh, and not be able to play that night. Mm. And I'm like, what? Well, there was an interpretation of the rule that they took one way, which had never been uh, implemented that way. They basically had some incompletes. They had mm-hmm. X number of days to get those incompletes in good standing. They didn't give them those X days. They basically said, hey, we're shutting this show down. So I go then to the I go downstairs and and meet with the team and say hey guys you know we play here in about four hours Jay White you and Jihad are not not playing you can't play you're academically ineligible so we uh, we commenced to to going through the game uh, end up losing by a basket literally played six guys I think I played Chad Moore who if you remember Chad had taken a medical hardship going into the year. We had to get that reversed because he had a degenerative disc in his back. Yep. We had to get that reversed. He wanted to play, so he ended up playing. Ended up playing 40 minutes in his last game. Couldn't sit down because his back would spasm. He had to stand the whole game. Had to stand at halftime. Had to get adjusted at halftime. He played 40 minutes, and we ended up losing a one-possession game. And 
the rest is history. You know, that's when they pulled the plug on me and wouldn't let me speak over the intercom. <laughs> Remember that? The whole thing was bananas. But that night, ironically enough, Hugs accepted the job to go to Kansas State. I accepted the job to go to Ole Miss, and Mick accepted the job to come to Cincinnati all after that game. That is that is that is so wild. Like I have never heard the details of it, um, like you just explained. But man, what a wild sequence! And I remember being at the game, and they pulled the plug on you, and I'm like, oh my god, what the hell's going on? And then I went to dinner. Remember Martino's? Yeah, of course. Oh, short vine. Yep, I went there, and I sit down, and everybody's pointing at the TV screen, and the ticker right at the bottom. UC had announced Mick was a new coach. Yep. yep. I was like, we just left the stadium. Like, Yeah, it was a done deal, obviously, at the time. Uh, and, you know, they wanted to get in front of it. I had accepted, uh, uh, right after the game, I accepted the position to be the head coach at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. We go, I'm gonna, I'm, and I'm going to mess this up. I cannot remember the name of the bar. There was a bar right there on campus. Goodness, it hurts my soul. I can't remember it. Uh, but me, Frank Hugs, we had all kind of, and Hugs had just come back from Kansas State where he was introduced as the coach. We all kind of met right there and had a celebratory drink. And mm-hmm. then I drive home uh, the next morning. Ole Miss flew in and, and flew me and my family to Oxford where they introduced me as the coach. Yeah. Well, it all worked the very out. Next day. Yeah, crazy, crazy how it worked, man. But I, I listen, man, I got nothing but love for my time at UC, still reflect very fondly on that journey, uh, what a privilege it was to be a part of that story program. And, and, and man, I was really proud of the job Mick did. you got to remember, we weren't – I mean, we couldn't recruit. We are a dead man walking. I mean, who yep. are we signing? You know, a lot of people were like, <laughs> Kennedy didn't leave us any players. But that wasn't my choice. I mean, I mean, right. who you, I mean you, you couldn't really recruit. So, Mick had to build that thing back up, and what an incredible job he did during his time yeah, no question. And listen, hey, the last thing I want to do, and I always do this at the end of the podcast, I ask quick questions and quick answers. So I got four sure. of those for you. You ready? All right. Yep. All right, here we go. Quick questions, quick answers with Andy Kennedy. Number one, during your time coaching with the Bearcats, if you could pick one player, you can only pick one player, you go into war, and you can take one player with you, which player is it? I'm taking Eric Hicks. I, I knew you were going to say that. Eric Hicks had an incredible year for me that year, incredible year. Prior to uh, concussion protocol, I I guarantee you he played multiple games concussed. Uh, I'm telling you, multiple games concussed. He was a warrior's warrior. uh, And if you listen to the podcast that he and I did, I'm going to send that to you. Uh, Man, he just talks about the love he has for you, man. Uh, That's my dog. I'm looking for for another one, boy. He'll help you win some games, that guy. Oh, no doubt. Okay, number two. And this should be right in your wheelhouse right here. We're gonna we're gonna connect on this one, AK. Your favorite Air Jordan sneaker of all time. I know you like sneakers. Yeah, I don't, I'm terrible with the names, but I like those first retros. You know, the ones that he was wearing really in the first two episodes of The Last Dance. Those multicolored ones. I had a pair of those, man. I wore the. I literally wore them to the bottoms. You know, like, like it was straight. My feet were on the ground. I mean, <laughs> I, I wore the bottoms out. <laughs> the, the the Air Jordan one. Yeah, had that's to be the, the ones. ones. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. All right, now now this question, this is an important one right here, number three. Okay, I want to take a prime Andy Kennedy in his basketball prime. Do you beat in one-on-one prime Bob Huggins? 
Yeah, I think so. I could outscore him. Hugs was a little tougher than me, and was probably uh, probably the master of fouling. Hugs was a good player. Now, he's, I mean, he could score the ball, but yeah, uh, I I could really I got twenty two a game my senior year in college. I mean, I could score it. Uh huh. So so playing the ten, what's the score? Yeah, we play make it take it. Yep. Uh, make it take it. It's got to be ten three, ten four. <laughs> I'm writing this down. I'm telling her. Because, I mean, I, mean I, I could really score it now. So, he, he's not going to get that many opportunities. That's <laughs> good. All right. Uh, fourth and final question. Um, now, this can be, Bearcat, this can be your entire coaching career. Who's the best player you've ever coached and why? The best player I've ever coached and why? Boy, that is a tough one. That is a tough one. You know, look, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you a name. The guy that really, without him, I wouldn't have been able to last over a decade in, in an SEC program. You know, I'm currently sitting 18th in the history of the SEC for most career wins. And the guy that started all that was a guy named Chris Warren. I signed Chris mm-hmm. Warren. Uh, he, scored, he was a 2,000-point scorer. I signed Chris Warren in our first signing class. I've never coached a game at Ole Miss. We signed him early. We were the only power five to offer him. He was 5'10", 160 pounds, but a warrior's warrior. And he was the guy that jump-started that Ole Miss thing for me. Mm. He had the uh, – wasn't that the kid? He had, like, the beard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Old man, old man, looking beard, kind of. Yeah, just, hey, just just steady and as the day is long. Probably the the most talented player I had was a kid named Stephon Moody. Mm-hmm. Uh, who ended up being a two-time first-team All-SEC player, scored 24 games, led the SEC and scored. He's probably the most talented. But but the best player I have, the most valuable player in my coaching career to this point has been Chris Warren. Wow. And you've coached a lot. You've coached a lot. Well, hey, listen, man, I, I, listen, I really appreciate your time. It was so important that I got you on the podcast based on the other ones talking with Hicks, Bobbitt. Um, it, it, I, I really appreciate it. All the great stories. Bearcat fans are going to love this. And I wish you nothing but the best at UAB. And I hope to get out and check out a game. I don't know if you're playing anywhere close. or No, I would I would love to get the Bearcats on the schedule. I'd love to make that happen somehow, Ooh. some way down the road. Uh, wow. Always a pleasure to talk with you, man. You're a, you're, you're a, a UC basketball encyclopedia, man. It was great going down memory lane. <laughs> No doubt about it, man. Hey, thanks, Coach. I'll let you get back to to your work stuff, and uh, we'll definitely catch up very soon. All the best, brother. All right, Coach. Take care. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at Big Meach 41 and soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.